Well, good morning, Elevate. We are starting a new series. Uh, this, this series is going to lead us straight into Easter, which is crazy to think about that we're only about eight weeks away uh, until that time, until we get to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but we are going to walk through, over the next eight weeks, the book of James. And I, uh, we gathered all of these cards uh, last week, and the majority of you who filled out a card talked about how you wanted to study the Bible. And it is really cool that we, we had planned this a long time ago, that we were going to walk through the book of James, and, and there's going to be a follow-up to those cards, so be looking out for that um, as well. Um, but James is one of the favorites of those who read the New Testament, probably because when you read James, you can immediately take what he says and kind of apply it to your life. It, you don't need this, this, this great commentary or anything. It's really easy to read. You don't need a lot of context or a lot of uh, things in the Old Testament to just basically understand what he's trying to say. Uh, so let me, let me set this book up just a little bit so we understand where this information is slightly coming about just through James. So James is the little brother, half-brother of Jesus. How many of you guys are the younger sibling uh, here? Do we have a lot of younger siblings? It seems like it's, oh, we have a lot of uh, first siblings as well. So uh, we all know that the firstborn, those who have kids, are the test run in, for raising the rest of your kids, right? Like whenever you become a parent, you have no idea what you're doing, and you're just trying to figure it out as you go. And all the things that you mess up with your first kid, you just kind of make it better with the second kid. That's why firstborns, all you around, probably look at your sibling and say, wow, they had it so much easier than I did. Well, that's because the parents realized that they kind of probably messed up with you, and then they wanted to make it better for the second kid. And we learned that from a really young age, right? Like, Whenever we go up to the hot stove, if we touch the hot stove, we're not going to touch the stove again because we know that it hurts. And we might have seen that a little bit with James, maybe. But what if, if, if James is the younger brother of Jesus, Jesus was a perfect brother. And I can only imagine what it was like to be the brother of Jesus. Because, because Jesus is Jesus Christ, James isn't James Christ. He's just James. And I can only imagine how often his parents just looking at him and saying, man, why can't you just be more like Jesus? And Jesus walking around going from temple to temple, just able to teach from a very young age and understand Scripture very, very well. And James just being James. I wonder how difficult that could be. But here's the thing about younger brothers and younger siblings alike. Or if you, are, if you have cousins, you have close cousins around, and you are in the middle of all of your cousins of people who, uh, that you grew up with, for the most part, the younger sibling or the youngest of the cousins watches the older ones like a hawk because they're trying to figure out how to live life. And that's, that's with things with making mistakes. You try to learn from your older sibling's mistakes so you don't do that. If your older sibling gets in trouble with mom and dad, then you don't want to do that because you know that, that you've learned from their mistakes. Sometimes this, this falling around comes from competition, trying to be better than your older siblings. Sometimes it comes out of envy. And sometimes it's just because you just want to be just like them. See, James, from this letter, we can assume from the very first line in James 1 that he wants to be just like his older brother. So James, being the younger brother who followed Jesus throughout his entire life, just watching him 
writes this book. And if you were to title this book from a YouTube video, this is what it would be. It would be the top 10 things I learned from my older brother Jesus. That is what you can come from this book. This is why I think that in the very first verse it says, Jesus, James, sorry, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but my younger siblings, I don't think you'd ever say that you're a servant of your older brother or your older, or your older siblings in any sort of way. But James understood his relationship with God and his relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's our main point for today. Trials of many kind will come, but through the fire you will only be left with joy. So let's read the first part of James. In James 1, 2 through 5, it says this as we start. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whether you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And if you've been with us over the past last series, we know that asking God for something is, is part of growing in your faith. That whenever you get in a position where you're in a trial or you just don't know what to do or you want to be closer as a disciple, you just need to ask God and he will give generously. And I love how we see patterns in the Bible with that. But consider it pure joy that your faith is tested. How does that produce joy in our life? I don't know about you, but I have no desire in, in any circumstances to be tested in my life. I don't want to be frustrated in my life. I don't want things to go bad in my life. I want things to go as smooth as possible, and a lot of us want that as well. Am I right? But here's the thing. From, I prefer when people, other people go through trials. Do you agree with me on that? I like when other people go through trials, and then I can learn from what they went through so I don't have to feel the same thing that they do. It's kind of like watching professional sports, in my opinion. See, I played football for a very short time in my life, and I enjoyed it, but there is no possible way that I have any desire in my life to go through the week-by-week training and, and hitting and lifting that these professional athletes do on a week-to-week and month-to-month basis. See, right now, there is a difference between who is playing and who isn't. Outside of talent, which I had very little of that, They put themselves through these situations and endure it because they know what's going to come out in the end. They have tested and they have approved the situation through their entire life. If they endure it and they go through it, at the end, they will come out better in the end. And I had to do a football reference because it's Super Bowl Sunday. And yes, I'm a Bengals fan. And yes, I am bitter. So I had to talk about it. See, James's observation is this from Jesus. If you let perseverance do its work, if you let it ride out and you don't give up, if you bear the struggle till it is done, you will learn that your foundation, faith in Jesus, will not crumble. And James says maturity will come out of that in completeness. Now before we go forward, maturity in this verse, especially in our, our, our NIV that we like to, to read, of testing in the faith, I think in the original language likes to use something a little bit different. Now, Andrew Dawson out there is going to love that I said this 
because I'm an NIV fan, uh, mostly because it's written in a seventh grade level, and the ESV is written in a tenth grade level. And if I'm going to choose what I'm going to read, I'm going to choose the easier one. So that's why I read from that, because I can't really read in the first place. But here's the thing. The ESV and everything else, I think, does a little bit better job explaining this verse. This chain... <laughs> It's not funny. This thing uh, changes a little bit. See, because in 2023, maturity and perfection seems to be a little different from the qualifications of that scale, correct? For those who are dating or have dated in the past, it is possible to find somebody that is mature when you date them. But that does not mean that they're perfect, correct? It seems like those two things are on different scales. So here is the misleading what I think is misleading behind this word. So how does trials of faith, understanding this trials that affect our faith, make us doubt our faith, question our faith, and etc.? The reason it brings perfect and completeness that it says in every other translation besides NIV is because when you put something under extreme heat, the impurities start to rise to the surface. See, when I studied the, the, this scripture for today, when I went through all the commentaries and all the different, the lot smarter people than me, uh, what James was probably referencing here when it became perfection and complete was probably um, significant metals that they would have had in their life, something like gold. It's a very high-value metal of life. We love gold, right? Like when, when we are married, uh, a lot of us, it's, it's not as common now, but for a long time we would give a gold ring to the other person, and specifically probably a 24-karat gold. It has no imperfections. It, it's, it's a very high-class um, high metal. But there is one thing about gold that we need to understand, that gold just doesn't just appear in a 24-karat gold um, situation every single time. That when people go outside of the store that we buy, buy our gold from, um, they go through a panning process and a mining process to gather this gold. Now, when the gold, uh, they put it all together, they try to make sure that they sort the highest quality gold from the, from the least high quality gold. And what separates the high quality gold from the, from the not as high quality gold is the impurities within this metal. So what they do is they find this gold, they put it in a, a cup, and they put it under extreme heat and burn off all impurities so that the only thing that is left is gold. And that is how you get the, impure, the, the most pure form of gold, which is 24 karat gold. At this point, it can, it, there is no way that it could become more valuable than it is in that moment when all the impurities are destroyed from it. In the same way, when our faith is tested, it feels like we are under some incredible heat in our life. It feels like the entire world is just looking at us, trying to see how we are going to respond in this current situation. What will start to happen is that stuff will naturally start to come out of you when you're in a tough situation. Whenever you are under extreme heat in your life, whenever you're going through a trial of your faith, 
what your body will try to do is try to fix the situation by itself and not rely on the foundation of Christ. And if you stay there long enough, just like in Romans 12, referencing that if you focus on Christ, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you stay there long enough, the only thing that will come out at the end is our foundation in Christ. And all of our impurities and all the things that we try to fix on our own will not stand the test of time. A little story of this nature comes from the book of Daniel, which we actually sang today, and it's really cool how that worked out. And it's a really popular story that we, that we read in children's ministry. If you grew up in church, you've heard this story. Um, it's of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this, this story is really interesting because there was this king called King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had this really stupid law and this really stupid statue and made sure that everybody, whenever the music played, that everybody bowed down to this statue of him. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not from that town, and they were God-fearing people, and they knew that the only God that they were supposed to bow down to was the one true God, Yahweh, and no other gods. But the law stated that if you did not bow down in worship to this statue, that they would bring up this massive fiery furnace, and they would throw you into the furnace to kill you. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood and feared our Lord God and understood that above all else, they were to serve Him and nobody else. So when the music played, everybody bowed bowed down in worship, everybody in the courtyard, except for these three people standing in attention, not worshiping the big golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar burned with anger and, and said that the fiery furnace should be, I think, six times the heat that it normally is. And as they took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even the guards that threw them into the fiery furnace at the end died because it was so hot. But as we see in this story, whenever they were in the fire, they did not die. It actually says that the clothes that they had on didn't even get destroyed. The reason they did not burn up is because they had no impurities left in their life, that even refining and being pressured by the government, even being pressured by this king, at the end, the only thing that came out was God. And when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, he said that he recognized one other person being being like a, a man of the gods being with them. And when, the, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out, King Nebuchadnezzar was so moved by what happened that he de- didn't look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego anymore, but the only thing that he could see and the only thing that he wanted for the rest of his nation was to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But here's the thing. It is possible that the gold that gold that does not stay under the heat long enough might not burn all its impurities off. It is important to understand this because you can fake it for a long, long time in your Christian walk. You can go through the burning and you can bail really, really quickly, 
or just rely on your internal self to fix the problems and, and not withstand the testing of your faith. And you can fake it for a really, really, really long time. The reason I know that is because if you look at metals, you know that there are things called fool's gold, right? And those who have kids or grew up with, with parents that would take you to those silly panning situations where they would give you some dirt and then they would say, here, put, go under this water and pan all the dirt. And then you got really excited because you saw something that was yellow and you brought it to your parents. You're like, oh, and your parents are like, oh, yeah, that's gold. But in reality, it's just fool's gold. And then you're just heartbroken. Terrible parents. I'll probably do that to my kid too. But anyways, you know that you can go to the store and buy things that are not 24 karat gold, right? Like you can buy something that's 14 karat gold. You can buy things that are 10 karat gold. And you, can, and you can buy things that are considered fool's gold, which looks kind of like gold. And I have two rings here that I wear on occasion. One is my wedding ring, which is 24 karat gold that my wife bought for me on, right before our wedding. And then I have another one that is, I don't know what range this is or if it even is gold, but from a distance, you cannot tell which one is gold. And which one is not gold? And there's a purpose for that. that. That we can, in turn, put on a shield or some sort of face or just and not really go through the fire for a long time. And from a distance, people cannot tell whether you are mature in your faith and complete. But James gives a warning to those people. This is what he says in James 1, 6-8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blowing and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And then he gives an example of this in the next few verses. Believers in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises in scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. The illustration of this flower is the one that gets me. If you've ever seen some, a, a wildflower just spring up in your, back, in your backyard or in a field, and they spring up so quickly at the beginning of the season, and they're absolutely beautiful compared to everything else. But every single year, they cannot stand the test of time, and they go and they wither. But here's the things about warnings. They're not there to scare you, but they're there to help you. James gives these warnings to point out to the pointing, wants to point to the joy in, in God's promises and to turn away from the inconsistencies of our natural desires. But this is just a warning to new Christians. This is just a warning to the old Christians that might be double minded. If you're in a situation where you have not been a Christian for a long time, or you're in a situation where you've been going 
to church a long time and you're, and you're, and you're just now deciding that your, your faith in Jesus is actually going to drive be the driving force in your life. James wants to give you this warning sign. It's like when you're driving the back roads of Kentucky at night and then you see that sign that all of a sudden there's going to be a really hard turn left. When we drive, we don't freak out when we see that sign. We just know that we need to slow down so that we can hit the turn, right? That is what James is trying to do in this situation. To take this study, to take this, this, this steady, and to understand that the fire, that the refining, that the testing of faith is going to come. If I can share a story with you all just for a moment. Um, and, and, I, and I want to share a story of a great mentor of mine. Um, and, I, and, I, and I want to share the story because it, it came about in a conversation with me and Stanton Smith, who's sitting up here. We had coffee on Monday. And, and Stanton and I had a pleasure of, of being mentored um, by, this, by this professor. And I want to share this, this moment and how, how my very first time being a new Christian, I was under that fire. I was, I was under that persecution of my faith. I was, I was trying to figure out how to, how to push forward in a couple things in my life. When I, see, when I was going to college, I was a completely new Christian, and I was this you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed new Christian. And uh, on the outside, I, I, I really pushed that, but on the inside, I felt like there was this completely flame that was destroying my soul, and I was really going through the trials of my faith. See, right before I went to college, uh, my first adult mentor um, who, was, who was discipling me who really showed me how to be the hands and feet of Christ. So really, he really showed me how to go into any situation and learn how to love. Um, he, at the end of my senior year, committed suicide. And I, and I saw him every day of my, of my senior year up to that day. And during that time, the, the, because of this situation, our church that I was attending was going through this intense refining, and all of the impurities of our church was just rising to the surface. So everything that I relied on for spiritual direction in my life was completely under fire. But the one thing that was consistent in my life um, were the, the four people, my now wife Kaylee, uh, and then his, her, and her brother Matt, and Dennis and Janie, her parents, which were, were, which were great people to just kind of follow during this terrible flaming situation in my life. But the worst thing about our church was all of these impurities were coming to the surface during this refining, and it was really, really ugly. So during that situation, I packed everything up, and I headed down to Johnson uh, Bible College. And for the first few months, I, everything was going okay. I was trying to figure out everything. And just being tossed into college is just a whirlwind in itself. And I think it was just distracting me from the, the situation that my faith was going through at the time. But then some of my friends, I, well, I thought they were my friends, maybe acquaintances, of, of these guys got together with some of these girls, these upperclassmen girls, and they all went to a party at UT. And 15 of these people that I kind of became friends with got kicked out of Johnson within the first couple months of me being there. And I, and I just thought in this moment that I couldn't get away from the outside world for just a moment to heal 
from the situation I was going through. So what I did is, is I locked myself in my room for a couple months. Me and Jacob Barker, who's sitting over here, who was my roommate at the time, we, we locked ourselves in the room and we didn't answer anybody who came to our door for, it seemed like, months. And I remember talking to my now wife, Kaylee, she, she attended Johnson as well, and I said, I, I just don't want to be here anymore, but I feel like I should stay because I know God wants me to be here. In my second semester freshman year, um, got through Christmas, came back to Johnson because I knew I was supposed to be there, and I had this class with, with who was going to be my mentor during college, and the very first class that we had with him, uh, he asked if any of us knew the song or the lyrics to the doxology, and for some reason, I knew these lyrics. I have no idea why. I was a new Christian. I don't remember learning it at all. Maybe it was just God placing these lyrics in my head, but, but it seemed like everybody in the class knew these lyrics. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. But what Doc, what we, call, we called him Doc, what, what Doc do is he would go over to the light switch and he would turn off the lights in the class. And he would do this because he didn't want us to get insecure about how a lot of us aren't good singers. And he would make sure that we weren't looking at other people to see who was singing and who wasn't singing so, we didn't, so some of us wouldn't sing. So what he did is he turned off the lights to make sure he removed all of the things between us and God in a very visible way. So what he did, and this was in the middle of our campus, in one of our classrooms, there's no windows, and he turns off the lights. And then he just started singing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And for the first time in almost a year, I could confidently say that everything we sang in that moment that all these impurities by just shutting off the lights had gone away. And for the first time in my life, for the first time in a year, I felt like I could just focus on God. That I felt complete in my soul. That in a moment, the only thing that mattered was us focusing on God. And the fullness of joy was the only thing left in that moment. I'm not saying after I left that class that some of those hard feelings didn't come back, that I, still, that I still had to go through that trial and figuring out my faith and trying to persevere and test and approve how God's will is through every situation, but he showed me that it is possible to just be left with joy. See, James understood this by watching his brother for all those years, from learning from choosing to be a rabbi, from choosing the followers of his that weren't the natural way of following the choosing followers, to knowing that, that one of his followers was, was going to end up betraying him, and he was going to be placed on the cross and dying, 
And his whole, his whole life was going to be under a flame from that point on. But he stood the test, and he rose three days later. And the only thing that was left was love. So James ends this section by saying this. James 1, 16 through 18 says this. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his of all of his creation. That those who have faith in Jesus receive the gift and are made pure through Jesus. And God views us as blameless, set apart. And James uses the, the word first fruits, meaning the section that is set apart from God. The section that is set apart from the rest of the world and is viewed as blameless in the view of God. See, trials of many kind will come. But through the fire, we will only be left with joy. God, I want to thank you so much for another opportunity to come together and learn from one of your followers. God, thank you so much for James and his just complete watching of his brother Jesus so that he could just share some of the things that he learned from him. But God, I, I pray that we understand that when we go through trials in our life, that it's not the end, that when we go through trials of different kinds, that it's, that it's not going to destroy us because we know when we come out of it, the only thing that's going to be left is our perseverance and we are made complete through you. God, I pray that we allow these impurities in our life to rise to the surface. I pray that we can remove them and allow them to be completely burned up in our life so that the only thing that we are producing in our life are fruits of you. God, I pray that we are led by your Spirit. I pray that we leave this place and, and our, the fruit that we produce is one of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that when people look upon us, they only see you and your Son. God, you are so good. And I ask this all in your Son's name. Amen.